Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome, everybody, to the seventh episode of The Psychologists Are In. I am Maggie Lawson. And I'm Timothy Amundsen. In this episode, we cover season one, episode six, Weekend Warriors, with the hilarious guest star, John Ross Bowie, a.k.a. the dentist with the really hot way. He talks all about his time on the show, gives insider information about the episode, and talks about how he had a connection to Psych even before this episode was shot. We had such a good time with him. Enjoy. We're so excited you're here. I'm so glad to be here. You should also know you're our very first like guest star, other than a main cast or producers so far. So yeah. Oh, that's yeah. nice to hear. I'm surprised, but uh, pleasantly so. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, first off, Tim, you guys are you guys are friends. We are. We are actual real life friends. Having met on the set of Weekend Warriors. And then your friendship began there. Is that when we first met? I could. I feel like I've always known you, John. I, I no, same, remember. same. But I was trying to like do the math, and um, it was it was that that uh, fateful week in Vancouver where we finally met. And then on the rare occasions when you were back in the United States, I would run into you at like the ArcLight or something, and uh, and and we'd always uh, it was always lovely to see you. And then we started doing Thrilling Adventure together. I would see you there oh, a lot. Right. Uh, which is uh, a, a fun show they used to do once a month at Largo here in Los Angeles. Sort no, of, those uh, were the days. Uh, it was a simpler time. Live um, theater and stuff. time. But it was fun. It was a, it was a uh, sort of a, a, a mock old-timey radio show, and Tim and I used to guest on that occasionally. And uh, it was one of those things where we just kept showing up in the same places together and thought, I guess we'll give this friendship thing a, a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> it really wasn't. I think stand out of the way, was like, you know. Don't get run over by the wheels. Just let it happen, you know. I think it's like John. We should. I think a text is like we should actually hang out, have coffee, and be friends. Because obviously, the universe wants us to be friends. Absolutely. And then John ended up being um, one of those guys who really, when I got sick, really showed up and would come and visit me. Like literally, show up to my house with coffee. Would bring me coffee, much like my dear friend Maggie Lawson would do. And we'd sit on the porch and have coffee during um, my recovery in uh, pandemic times. That's really, really lovely. I know you had mentioned that, but I forgot it until just now. John, that is so sweet. Stroke or not, Tim's a good hang. <laughs> I don't think I ever paid for one of those coffees either. Yeah. Oh, and I, uh, that's really fine. It's okay. I, I do okay. I, I work in TV. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then, John, you have a, a, a little history with Psych even before you did Weekend Warriors, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a matter of public record. Um, it's funny. Yeah. I think I, I, I don't ever want to make people uncomfortable with this information. I just always think it's interesting, like, the various um, – alternate timelines and the the coulda woulda shouldas you know i don't i don't come at it from a place of bitterness of like ah that could have been me everything kind of worked a, it's out. a wonderful life episode yeah you know i don't i don't i don't think that way but i uh but yeah if you're a a a deep deep serious psych fan who really knows the minutiae you might know that i tested for the role of gus um in the casting process and um 
in hindsight, it's, uh, you know, Dulé's fantastic in the role, um, and I had a bunch of stuff uh, waiting for me here in uh, the continental United States that uh, Psych would have prevented. So it all worked out. Everyone's cool. But I remember very specifically, like, going in, and, you know, there's, there's, there's tiers to the testing uh, for a series regular role where you have your, uh, you know, you have your producer session, and if they like you, they'll take you to the studio, and then they'll take you to the network in person. And producers in studio went great. And I'm sitting there in network, and I've got the wind at my back, and Dulé walks in, and the West Wing has just gotten canceled, <laughs> and I was like, and scene. Okay. Uh, do you guys validate? Or, or it's pretty great. Okay, so I'll just, I'll just, you know what? I can save everybody a lot of time. Oh, we're actually going to go through this rigmarole. Okay, that's fine. And, uh, but yeah, but then I ended up, you know, God, what is it? Like, Weekend Warriors is, like, episode number five. I mean, they got me on as soon as they possibly could. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, which I, was I a nice feeling. You left an impression. I mean, I remember Steve talking about you, like, coming up to do Weekend Warriors. Did you have to read, or did you – did they just say, will you come do this thing? I had to read. Do you remember? I you had, had, to, to had to read. Oh. I had that to was read. outrageous. You know what? I, I – you know. <gasps> That's uh, crazy. That, different time. Different time. Uh, yeah. Um, now – I might have been a little, little more reticent to read yeah, necessarily. Of little, uh, I would have been a little less dance monkey dance. But um, at the time, I was, you know, I will absolutely go in and read. And also, it was a, you know, the the dentist on uh, on Weekend Warriors is a very different character than Gus, you know. And they don't know me, and I didn't have a huge body of work to look at at the time. I had a few guest spots and one series regular on a show that nobody remembered. So it was a sort. I kind of came into it with. Fairly, uh, still kind of a neophyte, so I was happy to read and uh, and uh, happy to uh, to visit Vancouver uh, uh, in uh, I don't even remember what season it was. It was nice out. I walked around. It was around a really lot. nice. Yeah, it was in I, spring. It was because I I remember all the bugs in those fields where we right. were having those. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, with the Civil War reenactment. Yeah. yeah, that was that was all the way south. That was closer to the American border. Um, That's right, and I, I remember it's like I, it, it being a big uh, a big hike to go down there. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, that was wild. But yeah, God, I have vivid memories of that uh, of that weekend. I was just about to say that's a that's a real. I didn't even remember that. I didn't remember exactly where it was. But now that you're saying it, I I I do because we were out there. I think for several days. Um, that was so fun, Tim. To this for me, this felt like you were like a kid on Christmas morning, like this every single day that we were shooting this episode, you were so cute and so excited and so great in it as well. It's peak um, Lassiter. It's peak Lassiter. <laughs> so, I mean, let, let's see. Let's check off the list. Um, Tim getting to wear a Civil War cavalry officer's uniform with a saber and getting to ride a horse. Check, check, check. Uh, yeah. yeah. On top of the, um, we hadn't seen you with facial hair yet. <laughs> oh, that that horrible face wig. <laughs> that was the best. And I got to work with with my pal John Bowie, who didn't know was going to become a dear friend. And look yeah. at us now. And yeah. Fortenberry, who directed it, is also a dear friend of yours as well. Yeah, John, and John who um, went on to uh, direct me several times in um, a show called Gallivant, a little thing I did after our beautiful psych. So, John, going back to you um, having to read, thank you on behalf of all of us for. Um, not having an ego and saying, "Sure, I'll come. I'll come do your little show." You're well, adorable. Well, no, you know, in all in, in all um, in all fairness, I also I don't. This is going to sound a little too um, uh, you know, a little too kumbaya, maybe. But I don't <laughs> mind 
reading if the alternate if the alternative is I show up on set, I, I don't know who the director is. The director doesn't know me. We have wildly different ideas for the character and we end up just being like, oh, this, what? Mm, mm, I don't think we're on the same page. So mm. if the if the alternative is, uh, you know, I, I, I swallow my pride, go in and go, okay, this is my approach to the character. Are we all cool with that? Then I'm happy to do that. I think that saves everyone a lot of heartache. Yeah. That's he- called being a professional. <laughs> no, I think it's just I think it's just pragmatic and um it's it's it sort of takes it away from being uh sometimes you hear auditions referred to as interviews. So maybe it's a little more like an interview, like, okay, um these are my action items that I will bring to the table. Um I don't know what you guys are intending with this thing, but uh uh here's where we can sort of uh meet halfway and uh great, let's break for lunch. So um <laughs> But yeah, I would rather do. I've, I've gotten a couple of straight offers shown up, and the director is just a wingnut who has mm. like this one mm. very specific vision that I can't meet, and that's a terrible feeling. And yeah. I would much rather I would much rather audition, go in, have fun. If it works out, great. And if it doesn't, no harm, no foul. You know, I got you know, I got out of my house a little bit. <laughs> no, I f- I feel that way too about uh, auditions. Is yeah. He's in John Fornberry, he's so great. He he's he's so kind and he was so I can't remember. Did he come back, Tim? I, I really do? know if my friend John came back and did more episodes. Um I don't think I think it was this was the only one, but he left such an impression. We all we all loved him so much. And you and you too. I I uh for for going back uh to the Gusbit, um, do you remember uh, did you, did you read with James and do you remember any, do you, you did? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, James had the role right out of the gate and they were doing the, um, I don't remember who else read. I wouldn't say it if I did, but it's unlike me to not remember who the other guys going out for Gus were before, um, before, uh, Dulé came in. And Dulé, by the way, was there reading. He was there, he, he went straight to network, but he was there reading. It was not, he was not necessarily a lock. He had to. He had to show up, show up and say, okay, here's what I want to do with it. But I remember going in and reading with James and um, he immediately started improvising, which is a... Um, <laughs> Everybody talks about that was this. okay. It's, you know, that's, that's, that's the bulk of my, my training. I'm not conservatory trained. So if he wants to come in and play, like, all right, great. And we had a really nice rapport. I, I remember... Oh, I remember very specifically because the, the audition scene was him listing all the jobs he had tried to do before he decided that he wanted to be a criminal, a fake criminal psychic. Um, and, uh, and I said, and, and Gus's line was something like, is this like the time you wanted to be an acupuncturist? And he goes, well, I didn't know you needed a license. And I improvised. Yeah. Usually anytime there's needles. (laughs) <laughs> and 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 that got a laugh, and that was one of those moments where I was like, "Oh, this might actually happen." Um, uh, but um, but yeah, it was it it was right out of the gate. Playing with James was such a relaxed atmosphere, and then rewatching the episode last week, I was struck by how much improv there was on set. Because um, I could hear it at this point, and I'm like, "Oh, that wasn't in the script. That's mm-hmm. us fucking around. That is on the script." But somebody tweaked it. You know, it, it, it was um, a very playful set right out of the gate. And oh, yeah. some, of that is, some of that is Fortenberry. Some of that is James. Some of that is just the tone that everybody uh, set right out of the gate. 
I feel like we were really, this is when we were really starting to get in our groove by now. Like you in Tim on a horse and, and, and getting this opportunity. I felt like I, it's kind of my first, uh, undercover, even though I think scary Sherry later was a, my big undercover, but this was the first time I like, I had to dress up and I had to go out into the field and I had to do the thing. And then, um, that scene in the dentist's office for me was like, especially with Dulé, as we were sort of all, you know, figuring out our characters and finding new bits or whatever, but him going numb, your whole bit in there, it, it, to me, that is, that was when that's like, oh, that's our show. Like, this is the, this is the kind of, this is the kind of stuff we're going to be doing for, for years and years and years, but we were yeah, getting Co- Columbo on Novocaine. Yeah, exactly. We were getting, but we were all getting comfortable in that. Like we were exploring new things and getting a little more bold. And it was like, it, it was really fun to, to, to rewatch this one because I feel like we were all really getting our footing. Wait, did they have like a medical, you know, how on medical shows, they have those like people come in and they're like, this is how you hold the thing. And this is how you inject the thing. It was, um, uh, yeah, they had a, uh, they had a dental expert come in and show me how to, <laughs> how really? to give a shot. Um, I didn't know uh, we took anything that seriously. <laughs> and, uh, and they really did. They had, they had a dentist come in and go, okay, you would do it at this angle. And in rewatching it, I, it doesn't look great. I got to say, I'm like, mm, I think I would actually really injure someone if I, if I administer a shot like that. And it looks like a cartoon syringe too. It's massive. It, oh, well, it's no, really it, funny. Yeah, it is massive, but also if you look very, very closely, you can tell it's a rubber needle, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, which is not my my finest hour as a prop master. Um, but it's um, but they did have a medical consultant in there to make sure, Amazing. and then like maybe two, three years later, I played a dentist in a movie called Sex Drive, and they had a medical consultant, and I was an asshole. I was like, No, I got this. I got <laughs> no, I don't know if you watched that show Psych, but I played a dentist before, so I'm uh, I'm good. I'm, I mean, if you want to go over, if to make you comfortable, I'm happy to. But I, I have the gist here. Yeah. yeah. So I was just a complete jerk. I have a funny thing for you, too, John, that I know you you tested for psych. But I think I, I don't know if I got to the studio, but there was some talk at some point on Speechless. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. For, uh, before for, Mini for Driver. Maya? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow, look and at then that. I think they, like, they were talking about, you know, they were going to make an offer to somebody. But yeah, it was like in really serious, like we were kind of getting toward the, I can't remember if I actually tested or not. Because I feel like we were talking about it and then they said they were making a couple more offers, you know, on a list or whatever. And all, obviously that worked out great, but um, yeah, that was such a good show. <laughs> you were so great on there. Oh, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, that would have been, uh, yeah, I could see that. I could absolutely see uh, uh, a world where uh, where Maggie Lawson is Maya. Um, it was a, a fun gig. Um, yeah, they, they I, that was another one where um, they were going through a bunch of offers. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people didn't want to play, didn't want to play the parents of teenagers. <laughs> I think there was some sort of like internalized ageism. Like, I don't want to be old enough to, and Have I was kind of kids. like, I would like a job. So <laughs> how about we not worry about that aspect? <laughs> but yeah, they, um, I actually know the guy who had to pass on the offer cause he had a, he, he was doing something else. And, um, I got that call 9.30 p.m. night before the table read. <gasps> that really? was a real last minute. I was like, t- I was calling my agent to be like, fuck this. If the, be- if the news is bad, I don't want to hear about it till morning. I'm going to bed. Picked up my phone and it rang in my hand. It was one of those like, 
like really last minute down to the wire things. Um, oh, I have chills. That's that's awesome. But, but, I mean, that's yeah, not awesome. That's agonizing. But yeah, that's amazing. When it works out, it is kind of awesome. Right. Exactly. Just um, the psychological torture to get to that workout can be. Kids, Hollywood is not always as fun as you think it might be. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. Well, people always like see like, oh, my God, look at that blooper. They're having so much fun on set. You have no idea what goes into that blooper. <laughs> exactly. How much heartache <laughs> and, and, and imposter syndrome goes into making yeah. that blooper. Oh, <laughs> totally. Going back, uh, we were talking about how we were improvising, which I actually think by, by Weekend Warriors, too, we were getting more comfortable doing that as well. Does anything stand out to you as you're like, I know. I know that was a that was a bit. You know, I, I know what stands out to me is talking to Dulé about improv and trying to relate it to dance. And because he was asking, oh, like, yeah. um, he was he was talking about how his wife was taking an improv class and he couldn't remember where. And um, but I was talking about the idea of yes and and adding to information that has already been presented. And I knew he had done bring into noise, bring into funk. And I said, so at the end of the show, which I'd actually seen a couple of times on Broadway, I don't think I'd seen Dulé in it, but I knew at the end there was a moment where they all kind of freestyled. And I was like, so you would take an idea and just sort of build upon that rhythm or build upon that pattern or that cadence. And it's the same sort of thing here, but um, but for people who are less coordinated like myself, Um, I'm, I'm just trying to yes and the ideas rather than the, the beat. And it was, it was actually kind of a fun little uh, conversation. Dulé keeps himself awake by, uh, by tap dancing between takes. Keeps himself on point, which um, was fine for one episode. I don't know how you did it for six seasons. But um, uh, for, for someone who was just flying in, flying out, I was like, okay, that's a thing that you're going to do. But it was still a really interesting conversation, the idea of like, um, playing with the idea of, of music and rhythm and improv and c- kind of connecting the whole thing. Um, but there was just a general buoyant playfulness about the set that came off of Dulé and James that made it really, uh, really nice to work with. And I see James all the time. We were, um, we overlapped on ABC shows for a while mm-hmm. and, um, and again, my imposter syndrome is such that I'm always astonished when somebody remembers me. Um, and he came into a room and was like, John Ross Bowie. I'm like, holy shit, he even pronounced it right. <laughs> my God. Hi, James. Um, so that was, that. that was nice. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just a really fun uh, set, even though it was that period of my career that I call my awkward 30s where um, – I, I deliver the line at one point where they're both struck at what a hot wife I have. Oh, yeah, that's right. They had this uh, very, very uh, charming British Columbian uh, who was playing my bride. And, you know, the whole deal is that they uh, she has cheated on me with the guy who died. So they think that it might have been me who, who killed him. And You're uh, a red herring. Yeah, yeah. you're the herring. red herring. Um, it was the first of a series of red herrings that I've played uh, throughout my awkward 30s. But the other trend <laughs> that that one started was this kind of sad sack loser. In this case, I actually deliver the line, where does it say that the ugly guy doesn't get the girl? And I'm looking at my, I'm looking at this footage and I'm like, first of all, I'm like a boyish 34, jet black hair. Um, uh, (laughs) Come on, that's harsh, right? But all right, we'll use the line. 
but it was, <laughs> it became this thing throughout that decade of my career where I play the guy who sues the dating service because they couldn't find anyone for me on illegal trauma. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I'm the guy, I'm one of the guys in the dating montage that shows uh, uh, the audience how rough it is out there to be a single girl because you got these fucking losers waiting for you. <laughs> oh, I just oh. had like this streak of roles like that. And look, I qualified for insurance. I'm grateful for the, <laughs> I'm grateful for the work always. Course, but it was, hopefully it was, um, so there was some talk therapy in there as well. Yes, there was. There's some talk therapy. Uh, Paxil works, guys. Um, <laughs> but but there were, I, mean, I very specifically remember... Um, uh, about a year later, being in Toronto shooting a, a legal drama where I, I had to sue the dating service. Um, and they had me in like these beige clothes and they, they combed my hair terribly. And I'm just sitting there like, they couldn't find anybody for me. <laughs> Feeling just like the, the, the hunchback of Ontario. And um, uh, the only consolation that I got from that was that one of the lawyers on the show had to give a speech about how she was always picked on uh, when when she was in high school, too, and how it's hard for everybody. And that lawyer was played by Christina Hendricks, um, <laughs> who's, uh, oh, wow. who's, uh, who's an attractive young lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, this kind of surprises me. I, I feel like you have a very, like, lovable and kind and open, like, to be playing this run of whatever is, I don't know, not you it was, it, it was all right. You know, I mean, I understand that it's also TV and you're, you're going to be in there with guys who have magnificent bone structure. Uh, uh, Amundsen <laughs> for one of them. I don't know. The, the career has shifted slightly, but the 30s were bumpy. Yeah, the 30s were, uh, uh, I got some, some, some ego bruising roles along the way there. I'm sorry we made you say that line. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Totally fine. Totally fine. I'm not, I'm honestly not holding a grudge. And in fact, I hadn't thought of it until I had, I had watched the episode again uh, last week. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Would you guys want to do some fan questions? Because I think we have several that came in for uh, for this episode. Yeah. Uh, oh, this one's for me, actually. What was the experience of wearing a hoop skirt all day long like for Maggie? Uh, well, I had a ball. Um, this was the very first time I got to uh, dress up. as the first time I got to go undercover. And... Um, Underneath the hoop skirt, I was wearing these, um, man, I guess you would call them, I think, I think we called them culottes, um, but they were these just kind of like wide pants, bloomers, something to put under, under the, the skirt so I had some coverage and like protection. But with a really high hem, right? With a, with a, yes, with a really high hem so you don't see it. Um, but they were they were they were a little bit tapered at the bottom, and I remember in one of the takes when I was going out when they were kicking me out of of the tent, 
um, a, I'm, I'm guessing now, I think it was a horse fly, but I thought it was a bee and I couldn't, I didn't, I, I, I think I was still like, it was still new enough that I wasn't going to like cut or say, I hey, hold on or anything like that. This thing bites the shit out of me as I'm in the middle of the scene and there was nothing I could do about it and I could feel it. Like I could feel it like through my skirt. So I, I took my hand to like try to squash it <laughs> and it hurt like, it absolutely hurt like hell. But you, I couldn't get to it because I had this giant hoop thing on that I, I couldn't lift this way. It only like went over my head. So there was no way that I could actually see what it was. But judging by the 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 giant welt I got, I'm guessing it was more a horse fly than it was um, a bee. Other than that, um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, dressing up and going undercover and, you know, taking on that responsibility because you were preoccupied, uh, Tim, and, uh, and the boys were being insane as they always were. So I think that may have been the first episode where I was, I took things into my own hands. Um, so that was kind of a big deal. Anyway. I have a question for Timothy off that question, because that was one of the few times I've ever been in period costume. For whatever reason, I just don't do a lot of period pieces, but you do a ton, Timothy. Do you have a favorite period costume over the course of your your storied career? Well, certainly that uniform was pretty high up there, but um, it would have to be my um, my armor in uh, Gallivant. Sure. Sure. Because they actually, I was in England and I called Allison and said, I had a crown fitting today. Like, it wasn't a <laughs> costume fitting. That's amazing. It was an armor. It was my armor and crown fitting. I feel like this uh, this episode was a little bit of a of a preview of what was to come for you, Tim, in Gallivant. It truly was. On a horse and, and that hair. That saber ended up playing a very important, become a very important uh, prop in one of my favorite episodes. Here's last year. Became, it became the the saber replaced <gasps> right. the um, the axe in in uh, our Shani episode. That's right. I remember in your apartment. Speaking of hair, uh, could Tim have grown the glorious facial hair all the glorious facial hair all by himself naturally? Um, I think we. I think that's an obvious answer. Uh, if I had you. the time, yes. Certainly not not in the week that they gave me because that 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 little goatee was like. Um, it was about three inches long, so it would have taken me a little more time. But um, I remember like watching the episode back and going, "This is so horrible." As a guy who really digs his, and thinks his facial hair is magnificent and important, and, and likes it to be very specific and authentic, I feel like that was a little um, slapdash. Nothing against our, our hair and makeup department, but I think it was kind of like, didn't no one have a meeting about what this hair, what this could be like? Because there was so many other great possibilities we could have gone. But then it's watching supposed it, to be awful, though. It's supported yeah, then by the text it back, that it looks it, it ridiculous. Is the bottom, it is the point of any jokes in there. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, you pull it off though, even though it is the it is the run of Oh, this jokes. was the other weird thing I remember is that they had gotten like it's weird enough that the show takes place in Santa Barbara and they're doing a Civil War reenactment. Like that right <laughs> out of the gate is a little like, wait, hang on, what? What? But they had actual Civil War reenactors where we were shooting in Vancouver. Like some of those guys brought their own shit. And I was like, who is reenacting the Civil War in Canada? What is happening right now? But John, they had them. That is the next fan question, and I did oh. not know the answer to this, and you just answered it. Did you use real Civil War reenactors for those scenes? In British Columbia. We did? In British yeah. In Canada. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember asking somebody... Um, 
because I don't, I don't speak in, at all in that scene. So I'm just, I'm glorified background and you see me in a few shots just to sort of as an establishment, but I'm just hanging out and I was talking to people and I was like, so did you, uh, uh, did you have to go to the same wardrobe trailer that I did? He's like, no, I brought these myself. I'm like, I'm sorry? Yeah, no, I'm a Civil War reenactor. I'm like, you're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> also, I love that he's like, I do this. I do this all the time. But yeah, you're Canadian. That is bizarre. And I did not know that. That I, I, That's actually kind of fascinating. I almost want to explore what that what that is, like where that comes from. What is that's the... a whole separate documentary unto itself. <laughs> Absolutely. Canuck Civil War reenactment is its own separate podcast and everything. That's now we had we whirled enough in time, but yeah, someone should should look someone into that. Someone has to it's... do that. The Canadian Civil War reenactors. Canada. Uh, the land of mystery. Tim, I have this is for you. Is Tim a history buff himself? I'm a little bit, yes, I am. A, I mean, not super hardcore in any one particular, yes, I I am a history, a fan of the history. John, this one's for you. Was the dentist butt slap scripted or improvised? I, I wanted that too when I saw it. It was absolutely scripted. I would never, I would never. Um, uh, it's specifically a thing that Sean has to, has to uh, clock uh, in order to, uh, to quote unquote use his powers. Um, I don't want to sound uh, performatively woke, but I don't know what would have to happen for me to improvise something like that with a complete stranger on uh, on, <laughs> on set. No, so, that would yeah, be bold. They, that was that was in the script, and um, I also remember being like, "Are you okay with this? Are you? I don't want to. I don't want to invade. If you're if you want to bring in like a stunt butt or something, that's fine. <laughs> I won't be offended. That's really um, nice, actually. I wish there were more people like you. <laughs> I think a lot of people. <laughs> I offered to do it. They wouldn't. They said my my derriere was not um, attractive enough in the dress. <laughs> but that um, didn't stop us from rehearsing out on the sidewalk in Vancouver, regardless. Because we're and professionals, I, I, we needed to get it right. I was like, I want to make sure I've got a decent angle here. I want to make sure you know I, I hit my mark. And Timothy was like, I'm here. Let's just do this. And uh, I just I spent most of our lunch break just smacking his ass, and um, that's why it reads so well on camera. <laughs> professionals and that was and that's how beca- how we really became so close i think that's very intimate it makes it makes a lot of sense you really uh you have to be besties after that no timothy's super committed he's jeremy strong levels commitment he really is he he means, he means business uh, the fact that it wouldn't take the dress off for the rest of the day oh yeah no. I, just just in case we needed to rehearse again uh that's hilarious. Jeremy Strong uh, level is 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 very 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 funny. Um, we have more. Let's see how many times t- it takes did James fall down the hill. That I have no idea, but I'm guessing a lot. Uh, and I'm guessing Byron was probably there, his stunt double. You know when he rolls down the hill over and over and over again. Oh, when I'm he falls off the bridge, yeah. When he falls off the bridge, yeah. I mean, although James took a beating <laughs> often on set, so I wouldn't be surprised if he did a lot of that himself or that went on. Um, Maggie, did you actually have to wear a real bulletproof vest under the dress? Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, also a professional. Yeah, we were, we were real. It made that dress feel a little bit more like a corset, but it was, uh, it was, it was all real. That is what you are seeing a real bulletproof vest there. Those things are heavy. Did we have to dig a hole for that underground passage? That is so funny. I wondered this myself. <laughs> Did we have to actually dig a hole in the ground for the uh, the underground passage or was it already there? I have no idea. 
Do we know how these things work? Yeah, but is I remember watching magic? going, why is there a sewer system in the middle of a field <laughs> in Langley? I had the same thing. Uh, that's actually really funny. I have no idea. Um, I, I literally thought the same thing last night. I was like, did we have to dig that? I bet we did. I bet we did all of that ourselves. I bet we set up that, that entire thing. Uh, one of my favorite parts of this was um, when James, the little montage when James is 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 setting up the uh, the the battlefield from memory of the way it was laid out at the police station, to, that for I was like, when when Gus says to him like, "Did you do this for memory?" and he's like, "Yeah, of course I did." And so like, for two minutes. In yeah, two whole minutes. Was, yeah, two minutes. The fact that that they redid it, they used an air hockey table as a whiteboard was kind of genius. It was also, I felt this episode and st the stuff with Henry as well in the beginning and the end, we were pushing things a little bit emotionally in this one as well. Yeah, I agree. We don't always think it's like it's a super emotional show. But yeah, there was. You can certainly see kernels of who Henry really is and becomes a little bit. I, I was struck by that too. I had actually forgotten that framing device on the show of, of how much of how much of his calling, Sean's calling, is to impress his dad. And, um, you know, not, not to give it more poignance than it, it needs, but there there was something, there, there's a, a very clear playable need in, in Sean and in James' performance thereof. And it also explains why he's constantly, like, you know, cushioning himself with jokes and movie references and, and everything. Um, yeah, it's a, a, there is, I agree, there, it, it is a little warmer than you expect. Um, but it's also, it's, you know, episode five, you're trying to find out the tone of the show and, uh, it works really nicely, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like this was, um, it's funny you say that because, uh, in rewatching and going back, uh, the, the drive really is that. He wants his son to be a cop, right? But he is, you know, and he's training him, but this obviously he's not going to do that. And so there is like a need and a, you know, a, a, a wound a little bit there that, you know, we don't go into that stuff too much, but you're, you're, that is a, a great observation that that is the drive behind so much of what he does. Um, and also trying to bring him in, even if it's goofy or, you know, like losing the watch or faking that he loses the watch so that he could get the uh, the metal detector and and all of that. It's a it's he's always trying to bring him in in some way. I think this might be the first episode that Jules, um, which is what he called me throughout the entire run of the show, I think was an improvised nickname, and I think this was the first time we heard it, which ended up being my nickname pretty much on the show for for the rest of the run. Yeah. This was a big episode. It was a big, like, turning, to, or at least it was pushing us forward, I think, a lot. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, in a, in a more of a, a relationship-y kind of a way. So when you kids go back and rewatch this episode of Weekend Warriors, a couple of things to look out for. Look for the jewels. The first time we hear Sean say jewels to Julia. Look for, look for the rubber needle in Sean Bowie's <laughs> hand. And um, look for uh, Maggie swatting the um, the rabbit squirrel that crawls up on her hoop, her hoop skirt when she, when she gets kicked out of the hospital tent. I will never forget that. That's how I know it's spring or summer because the bug situation was out of... I mean, the whole day I remember like swatting things because I couldn't see. I couldn't see over the hoop. 
So I couldn't really see if I was stepping on something, if I was, if, if something, if there was, if I was stepping on a hive of some kind or whatever, but I knew that I, I was getting little bites all day long, but that one was, that one was next level. And it was right before they pushed me out of the tent. That part I remember because I couldn't say anything. <laughs> so, so it bit you in the tent or when you got yeah, out of the tent? Like right as they were pushing me out. Um, I remember having this moment of like, <gasps> and I felt, I went, I like my hand hits it. I don't know if it's the take they used. I, I should actually go back and see if I could see that. But I, I squash it. I immediately grabbed my leg and then I, I could feel the, the, <laughs> I could feel whatever that, that bug was. And I smashed that thing into my, uh, and I'm guessing it fell out. And so, cause I never actually saw what it was at first. I really did think it was like a bee or a wasp or something, but. Or you had a smashed, um, praying mantis in your bloomers for the entire rest of, this, rest of the day. In my bloomers. Or that. It's very possible. Maybe I didn't want to see. I could never see. I couldn't see anything in the hoop. There's two other, two other fun things to look out for. When um, Quantro gets shot off his horse, there's a, a backup performer standing right next to him who suddenly grabs the reins of the horse so it wouldn't run away. When when the stunt performer falls off the horse. I was like, this guy just, we're not even trying to hide the guy. Like, this guy just, just holds the reins suddenly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a scene in um, when... Um, Lasseter and the chief are in the office and Chief Vic says, yeah, he's hired for this one. And, I, and Lasseter's getting his uh, usual pissed off cranky. And uh, Sean says, I'm going to get you something. It's like, I'm going to get you something. And walking goes, and I'm going to get you a woman. And I just, I, I just start to, I'm starting to laugh so hard. Like I, I quickly turn my head. We've talked in, in a previous episode about Lasseter, about my, the actress, ways of covering my laughter. And this was a, a quick head, head shake to the left because I'm just, I'm just starting to crack up at his improv. It works out so well, though, because Lasseter is so, um, you know, he's got such amazing posture and he's so prim and proper and he seems to walk in right angles. So a sudden a sudden abrupt turn doesn't feel out of character at all. Even if it's just you, like, trying to hold your shit together, it it looks like, oh, he's just stormed out of the room. That Okay, that's a thing that Lasseter does. That this tracks. is why we're friends, John, because you're covering for me right now. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> he could I, also— I, I broke character in character. Yes, precisely. <laughs> That's precisely. how damn good I am. You could also have this, uh, you, you sometimes get this quivering lip. Yeah, it's the lip curl. The lip curl. As the, as the lip starts to go up because I just can't control it. And the editors got really good at, at noticing that and then cutting away very quickly. But you you could channel it a little bit, or you would anyway. Uh, we knew what was happening. I'm guessing uh, I'm guessing anyone could maybe tell, but that you ch- you made it seem like it was just your your rage. You were shaking with with rage at at Sean. That's it. <laughs> when really you're you're dying laughing. You're earning your money, your friendship money too, Maggie. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was so great. Well, because Lasseter um, had no sense of humor, so he wasn't allowed to laugh at anything. You know, it was funny. I think in this episode, um, I was thinking about Claire Coffey. Um, yeah, who I think after she was on Grimm, I believe she went on to do Grimm and like a few other things after. But I also think this was the first time that we saw like a real romantic moment. Is that right? With Sean, like they have like a, a kiss and a thing. And like, I, yeah, I don't they, know that we They'll walk and talk out and they, and they have that, a little lamb. They have yeah. a little smoochy smooch. It was very romantic. I don't know if we'd ever seen him have a romance yet on this show. I mean, we see a lot of him um, just flirting. A horrible flirt. And, yeah. <laughs> um, but this is the first time we ever saw him, I think, actually kissing the gal. Yeah. No, it was a big deal. She was great. Everybody in this episode was great. This is such a fun episode. I talked to uh, Peter Michael Getz was on my flight from L.A. 
and we 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 shared a transpo van to the storied Sutton Place Hotel in Vancouver. <laughs> which, if by the way, if you're not an actor and you want to stay in Vancouver, stay at the Sutton Place because there will be like 18 actors in the gym <laughs> at least. Um, I, I had drinks with Matthew Broderick that weekend. It was crazy. Oh. Um, but uh, but but Peter Michael Getz was fascinating, huge theater guy. Um, uh, he had done a bunch of work at the Guthrie. He had done a bunch of uh, O'Neill at the Guthrie and has done a bunch since. He's he's 80 now. He's still working. Uh, he was a, a great, uh, just sort of a journeyman storyteller. We had a fun ride from the airport. I love that. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Um, yeah, friends, for for people listening, um, the Sutton is a... It has a lot of nicknames, but I know the most famous one is the Slutton, because um, it is where everybody where everybody stays. But uh, also this bar, the Gerard. Um, it, it's it's really funny. I mean, I think in the first like few seasons we were up there, and I think most actors who go up, I mean, you could really just meet anyone for a drink and then run into a several people you know or whatever. Like, how does drinks with Matthew Broderick happen? Are you guys friends? No, um, we, it happens because I run into my friend, Jillian Vigman in Stanley Park. And I'm like, Jillian, you're in town. This is crazy. My wife had come up to make me feel better, uh, because, uh, I kept having to talk about how ugly I was that week. So my <laughs> wife, my wife flew up for the weekend cause we didn't have kids and you can do everything you want. And she came up, we run into Jillian Vigman. Jillian's like, I'm up here doing this holiday movie with Matthew Broderick. I'm playing Fred Armisen's wife. Let's all have drinks tonight. And I was like, all right, sure. We'll see if it happens. But sure enough, I end up sitting there with Fred Armisen and Jillian Vigman and, and Matthew Broderick. And to this day, we shot this episode in, I want to say 2004, right? Six. 04, 05, somewhere in there. Somewhere, yeah. To this day, I get the occasional text from Fred Armisen, with whom I am friends, and he, he'll he go, hey, do you remember that time we had drinks with Ferris Bueller? Because <laughs> it, was, it was a really, it was, it was a... There's just a, I have very fond memories of working on Psych. That was a fun few days, man. <laughs> I love that. That's like our that's that was something we wanted to. I mean, I think er, early on we were all still very nervous and probably running our lines a bit more than we were partying, which came shortly thereafter. Um, but I I uh, we we wanted that. That was something we wanted. I remember for everybody who came up was to just have a good time and feel like they got to play and and have fun and and that kind of energy, I think, uh, honestly, is why so many people ended up coming up. I feel like we were so lucky with everyone that we got to have come up and play. And everyone, for the most part, was just wonderful, you included. Everybody it's, was great. It's such a neat fan base, too, um, because they all, by virtue of what the show was and how many in-jokes and Easter eggs were peppered throughout the dialogue and the visuals. I was just watching the episode, and there's a there's a, a thinly veiled Crocodile Dundee reference in our episode in Weekend Warriors. Wait, uh, where? Yep. What? Tell me. That's not a notch. That's a <laughs> notch. That's 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 a knife. That's not a knife from Crocodile. I, unless yep. I'm really mistaken, but knowing the kind of dork that uh, that James is and those writers were, I think that's a Crocodile Dundee reference. Oh, I stand to be corrected, sure. but I think it's a I think it's a Crocodile Dundee reference. And there's stuff peppered out, you know. And I remember he was super psyched that John Landis was going to come up and direct. Yeah. And um, so it's such a show for fans of other shows. 
they pride themselves on on sort of uh, stumping each other and pointing things out. And yeah. I'm still recognized for this one guest spot. <gasps> really? You know, a decade and a half ago. Um, and it's 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 neat. And we met a guy one time. Tim and I met a guy at a at a convention who had this massive psych poster. He was trying to get everybody who'd ever been on the show to sign it. And he was coming along really handsomely. There was like this little white spot in the corner left for me. And that's um, amazing. He had gotten pretty much everybody to to sign the thing because that show means a great deal to people. I love that. I love that you still get recognized or you get recognized so much for it. That's awesome. John, this it's so nice to talk to you and thank you for for being a part of our uh, our psych family and our extended psych family. And I know you have a huge podcast yourself. I have a podcast. Its hugeness is debatable. Well, um, it's, you have a you have a well known podcast. I, I have a, a podcast I, I've started doing this year called Household Faces, um, where I interview uh, well journeyman character actors, and many of um, whom have also appeared on our television show Psych. So it's not just a random plug; it's it's a plug for John's show that also it's has organic. many of our guests. It's organic. You had yeah. Nestor Carbonell, you had of course the amazing and handsome Jim Beaver. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, Nestor. had Jim had Jim on. Jim was Jim is a terrific interview. Oh my god, Jim Jim gives phenomenal interview. We'll get him. Um, he um, yeah. So I, it's that I'm gonna I'm gonna schedule some time with uh, Mr. Amundsen at some point. Um, and it's been just sort of a fun way for me to uh, to talk to the people who fill out the corners of of our screens. And yeah. uh, it's been it's been really uh, satisfying and interesting. I think that is such a cool idea. I, I really do. And there are so many actors who have been working for so long that we know, but don't necessarily, like you were saying, like the household name, don't know them, but they're in everything. Um, we have and they have another, the best stories. I'm sure. And, and, and maybe don't get to tell them as often, but they actually do have the best ones. I love that you're doing that. I, I think it is the coolest thing. And it, it also made me think of uh, one of our... our uh, uh, characters or uh, recurrings that we had for years was uh, Kurt Fuller. Um, uh, I love Kurt Fuller. Can you yeah. get me Kurt Fuller? Absolutely. I will get, get you Kurt, Kurt he Fuller. Would, he would love to talk to you, John. Oh my like, God. Wayne's World. You guys. Miracle Mile. No, I love Kurt Bard. Fuller. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> we will get you Kurt. We will get you Kurt Fuller. But I, I thought of him when, uh, and as you were talking and Tim was telling me about it, I was like, oh man, you have to talk to Kurt. Kurt has so many stories. Um, yeah, anyway, I love that. I love that you're doing that. You guys, this was so good. This was so fun. And our first uh, our first guest, I really do feel like we were kicking into gear uh, with this one. And um, You've set the bar very high, John. Yeah, you oh, did. Yeah, I, I will take a finite amount of credit for that. But um, it, again, lovely place to work. And thank you guys so much for having me on this show. Yes, and go listen to John's podcast, Household Faces. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you all so much for listening to episode seven, the Weekend Warriors episode. Tim is so good in this episode. And I still cannot believe that John tested for Gus. So crazy. Please feel free to message us on our Instagram at the psychologists are in or our Twitter at psychologist pod because we love hearing from you. So keep the messages coming. And while you're at it, you can follow us on TikTok. I'm hopefully getting better at this at the psychologists are in. Anyway, see you guys next week where we will be talking with Gus himself, Dulé Hill. Thank you.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.